0: Today's episode is sponsored by Queen Bee, which is currently live on Kickstarter. Queen Bee is a two- to six-player family-friendly war game that has a unique team-shifting mechanic that removes player elimination. Instead of being eliminated, players gradually form teams instead. Queen Bee won the Board Game Geek 2019 two-player print-and-play design contest and has been praised for being simple to learn, but still having strategic depth for a family-weight game. Not only is the gameplay unique, but the game also comes with 60 highly detailed bee miniatures. So don't miss this opportunity to add Queen Bee to your collection by backing
1: it today. You'll be glad that you did. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at QMLogistics.com. Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast. A proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design, to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends? Welcome
0: to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, we're talking about media and game design. We're talking about where those two worlds collide, why it's important to be thinking about media, even if you're a game designer, even if you're not thinking about publishing or kickstarting or anything like that, there's still things to think about, and especially if you're kickstarting and if you're going to be in the publishing game. And we're talking to Anne LoCito from Twist Gaming. Ann, welcome to the show.
2: Hi, Kip, Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, so glad to be talking to you. You know, you've got some really cool stuff going on over at Twitch with Twist Gaming and live streaming different things. And like you're you're deep into the media side of things. And so Peter Hayward actually reached out to me and said, hey, you, you need to have Ann on your show. You need to talk to her about something. She's awesome. And so I'm really excited to talk to you about this stuff. Uh, but before we get into kind of the topic at hand, who are you? How'd you get into the gaming industry, that kind of thing?
2: Uh, So my name is Anne Lucito. I am, as you've introduced me as, one of the three partners for Twist Gaming. Uh, We are an interactive board game media company. We were Twitch's very first board game centered partnered streamer. Um, I got into board games uh, a couple of years ago. Actually, I'm I'm pretty new of the three of us to board games in general, not gaming. Uh, I have grown up playing video games my entire life Uh, but my friend and partner Josh who I met in college has always been super into board games. Um, I did a group project with him in college and I consider Twist Gaming like the group project that's never ended. So he kind of suckered me in to, to transition from video games to board games.
0: Yeah, very cool. So tell me how Twist Gaming got started. you just sitting around in the room thinking, hey, we need to start live streaming board games. Like, how did it work?
2: So it's actually Josh's uh, brainchild. Uh, Pokemon Go, um, Twitch Plays Pokemon Go was really big at the time, and it was a way for Twitch's audience to play Pokemon Go with streamers. And Josh is a big fan of Kingdom Death Monster and wanted a really great excuse to play the game. So he's like, well, how do I do this and not get in trouble with his wife at the time? So he's like, let's stream this. Let's make this a project. So they started making, he's a computer programmer and knew how to make this board game interactive for the Twitch audience and just kind of wanted to see what would happen if he put it out there. So they, we started, I think I was on the... I got suckered into like the third episode after that. I was like, oh, this is such a cool idea. I really like board games. I'd really like to, you know, play, learn more, all of that. Um, And it really took off. The uh, Kingdom Death uh, Monster campaign, the KDM campaign on Kickstarter exploded. Uh, If you remember at the time, they did $12 million. And we were really fortunate to be. Uh, part of that campaign, to be integrated into that campaign and some of the updates like the uh, Gambler's Chest and things like that. And we had so much fun with it. And the project of Twist Gaming has just kind of exploded since then. I've really fallen into an industry I've loved, I love, um, and we've been having a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, very cool. And so, all right, let's get into just talking about media. What, what are we really talking about, though, when it comes to game design, the gaming industry and media? Because it's going to be very different if you're talking about movies, you're talking about books. And so like when it, when it comes to gaming and game design in particular, how does media play a role? Like, Give me like a, a good little definition of what you think about when someone says media and gaming, like board games.
2: So I was really excited to talk about this topic with you because I know you have a lot of game designers on the show. Um, I know that your audience is a lot of game designers. And as my background is in accounting and I tend to think a lot of the back of the house stuff. And I tend to find that a lot of the game designers that I've met with or become friends with are the creative half of the brain, right? So you're thinking about how do I, how do I make my project and how do I bring it to life? Um, So with media, it is getting your project out in front of people. Uh, You know, it's great. It's fantastic to see your, your beautiful creation come to life. Uh, But if you're out there trying to make a living off of game design, somebody's got to buy the product. And in today's society, you've got to get your product in front of people. People have to see it. And people are constantly having things shoved at them from all different directions. So, you know, board gaming is no different. Uh, We're always, you want to try and find a unique and creative way to get people hooked on your product, essentially.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so give me some ideas as far as like specifically what we're talking about, like what kinds of media is out there that game designers can be thinking about for their games?
2: Sure. So people consume media in all different kinds of ways. Uh, Where Our show is focused on Twitch, which is probably centered to a more uh, computer literate, younger audience. Uh, but you have people on Facebook, you have people on blogs, you have people on podcasts, um, I think the media segment of this industry, there's there's so many unique ways that people are trying to promote and talk about board games and and um to tell people about board gaming in general.
0: Yeah, gotcha. And so we're talking about, I mean, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, like you're saying, Twitch. I mean. Yeah. It could be playthrough videos, rules explanation videos. Like there are so many different things. I'm I want to get into a lot of those things because a lot of those have have very different reasons you might want to use them in certain scenarios and maybe not in other scenarios. Yeah. And so let's let's talk about that for a second. Like if I have a social deduction game or a legacy game or something like that, what should I be thinking about when it comes to like the type of game I have designed, and then the type of media that's going to work the best, like the most bang for the buck, so to speak.
2: That is absolutely a fantastic question, Gabe, and I think that that's part of the reason I wanted to talk about that because when you're making your game and if you're making a social deduction game or a legacy game, it's something that you want to consider. Okay, I've made this game. How do I get it out there? My show is not a great option for that. A lot of the video playthroughs aren't really a great option, specifically for a social deduction game. And that's because the hidden information doesn't do very well on camera. So when you're making your game, you want to kind of reach out to board game reviewers and media and talk to people who are going to discuss what does well in their format uh, and what does not. So campaign games do really well on, you know, long-term video campaigns, Games that play in under an hour or two do really well in a short playthrough. But if you have a Euro, you're going to want to work with a media company that's willing to put in more time uh, to show off your game. Uh, Podcasters are great for... Uh, talking a little bit about your game high level, uh, or you'll get a blog. Blogs are really great and flexible format, but it's for somebody who's willing to go into a static uh, website to read about the games. Instagram is always great uh, if you're designing a game with a beautiful table presence. Like that, that's what Instagram is—is is looking at those pictures, and. It's important for you as a game designer, because I think that this industry is still so small and so many people are wearing so many hats, it's definitely important for people as game designers to also be considering the marketing angle of their game.
0: Yeah, definitely. That's something I want to get to in just a a little bit as far as like your role in the process as a game designer. But as you were talking, it reminded me, all right, so early 2000s, poker really took off. The whole World Series of Poker and it was on ESPN and it was great. But now normally poker would be super boring to watch because you're really just watching people sitting at a table and you don't know what their cards are. And so right. it's really hard to know what's going on. But with the World Series of Poker on ESPN, they they had the little cameras that could see everybody's cards. And so they could put on the screen, hey, this person has an ace and a jack. Oh, this person has a pair of aces. Like, And you knew the odds and like you knew what was going to happen. And so you got like the dramatic feelings right. in there because you knew – Kind of, you knew what the players p- that were playing didn't know. And so that was such a really cool way to present that. But like like you're saying, normally social deduction or normally deduction anything is not going to work super well because you're just staring at people who are just staring at each other. <laughs> so right. I think it's, it's, it's smart to think about what kind of game do I have and then what's going to be the best avenue to kind of put that out there. Like you're saying, if you have a really beautiful game with wonderful art, Instagram is probably a good way to go. A good thing to think about. Now, as far as like Board Game Geek and some of the online, I guess really that's the main, you know, online forum and all that. What, what should I be yeah. thinking about as far as media for, for Board Game Geek or other websites?
2: I have to be honest with you, because we're kind of in our lane, I'm not as comfortable speaking to them. Uh, what I can say is that this industry thrives off of organic marketing. So if you're doing marketing with things like BGG um, or even in the various Facebook groups, you want to make sure that things are done very organically. I think with the influx of all of the Kickstarters, a lot of our uh, audience is sensitive to being pushed products. So a lot of people run to like the BGG ads and we also use BGG ads, but when things look very much so like an advertisement or somebody's being pushed a product, I think that our audience is very, um, has be- has kind of shied away with that felt, feels a little bit more uncomfortable with that. So when you're talking about BGG, you're, you want to get yourself in the forums. You want to be talking to people organically about your product and, and trying the more organic your buzz um, I think the better received it's going to be. Yeah,
0: that's a really good point. It's something to also think about. People want to know if they're being sold, and even the FCC. I mean, if you have affiliate yeah. links and stuff like that, you have to tell people, hey, these are affiliate links. I'm getting a kickback. I'm making money off this if you buy stuff, you know, whatever. And so, just legally speaking, but um, people don't like to be sold, you know, kind of underhanded or, or, or what's the, what's the right kind of shadow sold, so to speak, where, you know, someone is sponsoring the content. That's something really good to think about
2: yeah i mean that's definitely the whole sponsoring of content thing is is a big conversation in the board game media um segment Uh, and you were talking about you know ftc regulations and that goes so far as like even with instagram how you need to make sure that above the fold that you're disclosing whether or not something is an advertisement or not so it's kind of tricky to navigate marketing in this industry because of that
0: yeah for sure and then it's something about the difference between a review and a preview and, and oh, yeah. making sure people are aware of, you know, what's just a paid preview and what is something, you know, someone's unbiased. This is my just total 100% opinion. No one, it doesn't matter if somebody paid me or anything like that. I think it's really important. Just be transparent. I think it's, with all this media stuff, be transparent about what it is, what's going on. And uh, people will appreciate that a lot more than, you know, you trying to kind of okie doke so to speak. And like yeah. you're saying, this stuff goes viral, like. We are so interconnected with so many different things, whether it's Facebook or Twitter, or Instagram, whatever. Um, if you do something somewhere, it's going to show up other places. You know, there are publishing companies that are in some hot water right now because of the way they've treated their their backers on Kickstarter or the way they've done their shipping or they haven't ever shipped at all. You know, it's been two years. people were waiting on the product, whatever. And that, that goes out ahead of you in all the different avenues of media. And so it's so important to just realize your presence on one is going to affect your presence other places. And so just to, do you have any advice for that, actually, as far as like maintaining a, a solid reputation, maintaining a solid presence in the media online so that you do have a good reputation, you know, with with your games and your kind of your persona as a designer or a company?
2: Yeah, I mean, 8000%. This is definitely a relationship based industry. Uh, and I think that our community does a fantastic job of self policing, to be completely honest. Um, my personal opinion is that this community is the kids that were are the kids that grew up like we're a bunch of nerds right so we were the kids that were bullied and picked on and and treated a lot of us are the ones that were treated not fairly for being a little different so now that we're grown-ups and adults and we've built this community we want to make sure that those feelings and those you know that those things don't come popping back up again Uh, so I think it's very important when you're engaging with the community just to be kind just just be kind Um, If you're a designer, sometimes it's nice to stick to and you stick to more of a a professional appearance, Um, not shady, not fake, not a mask. But there are certain things that just don't need to be discussed in. This, the certain situations. Um, and it's always, always important to do what you say and stay in communication. You know, Kickstarter is one of the main vehicles in this industry, and it provides you the opportunity via the updates to stay in constant communication with your audience and just to be upfront about everything that's going on. You're talking about people who, I've run into problems and not shipped games in years. And and like I said, I think people have become very sensitive to that. But I think that – and because people have become sensitive to that, they've also uh, built an expectation of what level of communication is expected when they're backing projects. I think that our audience kind of knows – what it means to back a kickstarter campaign they know that it's not going to a store they know that it's going to be months and what have you before the project launches granted uh, as larger publishers have used kickstarter as a vehicle a lot of nearly finished product projects um have hit you know most of the there are a lot of projects that are nearly finished when a Kickstarter campaign launches. So people are getting their projects sooner and the level of expectation in that time window is shrinking. Um, But I still think in general, we kind of get what backing a not finished project is.
0: Yeah, for sure. And just to follow up on something you, you mentioned just a moment ago is realizing your presence, and especially as a designer and kind of maintaining that professionalism. Because I've seen several designers and several companies get super upset about a review that maybe didn't go their way. You know, someone uh, saying, yeah, I didn't like this game. I think this game sucks for this reason, or that reason. And then the designer, maybe in the YouTube comments or on BGG or whatever, like tries to have this back and forth debate or dialogue about well you didn't play it right or you know you should have done it this way that was like i don't think that's ever really a good look for a designer i've seen it i think it works much better to just say i really appreciate you taking the time to review my game right i'm sorry it wasn't for you hopefully it's for other people but just realizing that other people can see you and they're probably going to judge you based on how you respond to things
2: you cannot see me right now but i am the face palm emoji (laughs) (laughs) so um Look it's rough for a designer to put out their baby and have it be criticized. Right? I think that it's difficult for anybody to put out their project and have it and have and have it be criticized, but criticism is good. Uh, so the way that we do like I said we do a lot of interactive shows. We also have our spotlight show. So we have a It's about a three-hour show where we do full interactive playthroughs of games that are new or just coming to Kickstarter, and we invite the designer or a publisher or a guest on the show with us. So this is very real-time, interactive with the designer playing through the game. And what's great about that is because as we're playing through the games, uh, the designer is there to answer any questions we may have because, let's face it, rule books suck. So it's nice having somebody there who's made the game to answer the questions that maybe aren't as, um, that that come up as you're, as you're playing. And so for our show, it kind of bypasses that after the effect of you didn't play my game, right? That's not how it is. How are you going to bash my game? But we do do a short first impression session at the end. And from one, from our very first spotlight, um, I set the point that the designer can't be there. We, you can't, I, I I, need to have the opportunity to be very honest about how I feel about this game in my own setting. And I make it very clear, or I try to make it very clear to our audience that, look, most of the games that we do, this is the first impression. That goes back to your point about the differences between previews and reviews and how much exposure the media person has with the product that they're talking about. But I, I, I can't have the designer there because I know you're going to want to fight for your baby. You're going to want to fight for your baby. You're going to want to make in-the-moment corrections. And what the audience wants to see is kind of akin to blind playtesting, right? There are things that could be eroded about about a game but essentially you need to allow your media the opportunity to talk about blind, te- blind talk about their game as if your game is if they've blind play tested it it needs to be open and honest um and as a designer you just kind of have to be super professional and it should come from a grateful spirit hey man thanks so much for playing my game i really appreciated it If you come out from the wrong angle or if you let your emotions get the best of you when defending your game, sometimes it comes out a little petty. And then that's a big – that reflects on your project. You don't want a bad attitude. You don't want the connotation of a bad attitude to be reflected on your project.
0: Yeah, it's a great point. And I think this is actually, as a designer, you just have to get really good at letting stuff roll off your back and not worrying about it. And this, this goes into like pitching games to publishers as well. I was sitting at a Dice Tower Con, I was pitching a game I was super excited about, I feel really good about, and um, three uh, people from, from this uh, publisher, they, they were, we were all playing it, it as a four player game and we were playing it. And at the end, they started talking and I was still there, but they started talking about, you know, Possibly publishing it. And did you like this? Did you like that? That kind of thing. And the guy that runs the company was like, I love this. I love this about it. And he was talking about all these things. And he said, What do you think? And talked to one of his uh, co workers, colleagues. And she said, I hate this game. Uh, I didn't like this. I didn't like that. And I was like, Okay, cool. Uh, great. that's Okay. Uh-huh. And um, you just have to sit there and you go, I'm sorry that you didn't enjoy the game, but I really appreciate your time and thanks for playing it. And just, you know, and let it because I easily could have gotten into an argument about well, you did this, you should have played the cards this way, and like, but what what kind of look does that have to the publisher who's sitting there and is like well, obviously you're not great to work with if this is how this is going to go, and so it's just something to always think about. It's kind of the the persona you're projecting out into the world because that's going to affect other people wanting to work with you. This industry is very small, and so if you do certain things online, everybody's going to know about it, and you might cost yourself jobs and, and uh, publishing contracts down the road. So it's just something to be aware of.
2: Well, that too Gabe, and it's your own it's, it's your own emotional mental health. Like I think that the, the, we could talk on that in just a second in, for, for just a minute. Your project is not a reflection of you personally. And to be good at business, it's important to be able to differentiate between your project and you as a person and I can understand like that's a that is an obvious challenge because you've put so much of you into a project but you are not your game so if somebody says I don't like this game it might not be the game for them that doesn't mean they don't like you personally as a person but I know that I've had guests come on the show and there have been games that we've played through and I just really don't like their game or it's just not the game for me um what's what we've done for our show is that there are three of us with three very different uh, styles likes and dislikes when it comes to games so it allows me to sit there and be like look this is just not the game for me That doesn't mean I don't like the person that made the game That doesn't mean that I don't think that game is a good fit for somebody else and I'm sure when you guys are publishing or I'm sorry pitching to different publishers one publisher your game might fit the catalog for one publisher and then just may just really not fit the catalog for another publisher
0: right i completely agree and just like any other creative avenue whether it's you know painting or writing or whatever it's so hard to not wrap your identity into the things you're putting out into the world but that is so dangerous right because like you're saying this is all subjective these are all opinion-based things whether someone likes something or not you know, it's not even a matter of, is this good or bad? It's do I like it or not? And which is completely opinion. And so it's so important, like you're saying, not to not to get wrapped up into other people's opinions about you and let that affect your identity or what you think about yourself or how you feel about, you know, the stuff that you're creating. Just just create and, and just put it out there and let people you know experience it the way they will. But just know that who you are is not does not change based on on those things it's you know it's hard as creatives we we do think with our hearts you know a lot of times and not as much with our with our brains and and that, that can get us into some uh, interesting places as far as imposter syndrome and, and just feeling whether you know things that probably aren't even true if you look at it from a reality kind of standpoint
2: i have a rough time controlling i'm italian um by if you couldn't tell by from the funny last name which means that i tend to talk incredibly loud and if you go back through our YouTube comments, you will see a lot of comments saying, you know, RIP and peace my ears, because at, at whatever point, or, or the loud girl, or something else. And it's really difficult to take criticism, whether you're talking about your board game project or whether you're talking about your creative, you know, for me, like our creative video project. Criticism's rough.
0: Yeah. And like you're saying, it, Sometimes you end up getting identified by certain things that are about you. Like for for years growing up, I was always the white guy, the white kid, because I was playing sports. It was in the deep South. Majority of my teammates were black. And so I was always that, oh, that white guy over there, that white kid on the team. Oh yeah, that guy. And that's just kind of how I got identified. And and that could be like you're saying, oh, the the girl that talks louder than everybody else. I mean, it's, it's interesting how we identify people based on kind of how they stand out from whatever else is the norm, so to speak. And it's just, again, don't, don't let people identify you, you identify yourself. I feel like it's a great way to do it as a designer, as a person in media, as a person in general, I define who I am. I'm not going to let you define me necessarily, especially when it comes to creative stuff. But anyway, let's, let's kind of shift gears a little bit. Let's talk about some of the different styles, different kinds of media. Let's talk about playthrough videos. Why are those valuable? Why are those helpful to people? Why would I want to, you know, invest in those as a designer or a publisher?
2: Playthrough videos are absolutely a fantastic way to get people to experience your game. So we go out to conventions a lot, and we have uh, actually Josh and Matt, as we're recording, are just finishing up over at Gen Con. And what's fantastic about that is that when you go to a big convention, you can hit up all the booths, and you can do a quick five-minute demo in a crowded space for a game. But when you tune into the Twitch show, What you get is a guest coming on with their project for like a – it's almost like a one-on-one experience. So that's kind of how I think about playthroughs. You are taking your game in maybe a video format or I really like the interactive formats for this. I like the interactive – I mean, that's why we do it because I like these ones, interactive formats. You want people to get a feel or a taste – for what your game is because that's what you're gonna get them hooked if your game is good if you're if the person that's going to purchase the game really loved the playthrough they're going out to go and buy the game and that person that buyer is well informed about what it is that they're going to be getting so your buyer's not going out to pick up a box to bring it home to find out later that man this just really isn't the game for me yeah
0: i don't I don't know how many games are on my shelf right now, but I can tell you only one or two have I bought without watching a playthrough video or a review. Like I just don't do it. And If I'm at the store, I'll pull out my phone. I'll go, okay, let's, let's go on BGG or let's go on YouTube or whatever. Let's find a video about this game. I'm thinking about it. it looks cool. The price is right. I like the, the, you know, the stuff on the back that tells me about the game. That's awesome. But is the game actually for me before I, you know, spend 20 to a hundred dollars on this thing. And so having playthrough videos just to show people, Hey, Here's the game. Cause another thing is you want to set expectations correctly. You don't want people thinking, Oh, the game is about X and then they buy it and they come home and they play it. And then like, Oh no, this is really about Y," And now the expectation thing has been just totally thrown off. That's going to lead to bad reviews. It's going to lead to people going, Oh, I don't like those games. It's not as a bad game. It's just, you, you set the wrong expectation. And so playthrough videos can kind of show exactly, Hey, here's the game. Here's how it plays. Here's the options. Here's the choices you have to make. It's just something to, to really think about. Uh, as far as reviews, I think the value is a little obvious, but kind of give me your perspective from your side of things. Why reviews are a good thing to to send, you know, send games to reviewers.
2: I tend to personally stray away. We at twist, we don't do reviews and it's because um, there's a lot more pressure when it comes to putting out a review of a game, because what you're expecting that media person to do is to get a very in depth um, understanding of your game. And essentially they're, they're judging your game, so I want to hear something from somebody almost like a SME, a subject matter expert, about a review. So I feel like reviews are more geared toward really heavy gamers, somebody who's maybe higher price point kinds of games. Um, it's just it's just a very a much more in depth look at what a game is. And it's a great way for a buyer to, dis- to make a serious purchase decision, I feel.
0: Yeah, and especially once you find reviewers that have similar taste in games that you do. Like Tom Vassell and I, we have very similar tastes in games. And so I know whenever he likes a game, there's a good chance I'll like it. And if he doesn't like a game, there's a decent chance I'm not going to like it just because we have very similar tastes and styles. And so I think that's another thing that could be really helpful uh, for gamers is they, they find a reviewer that they trust And then they kind of go from there. And then that's also something to think about as a designer and and a publisher is make sure you're sending your games to reviewers that you think will like it, right? Don't send a heavy Euro game to somebody who really likes solo 30 minute game experiences. Like that doesn't make sense. Like you need to really have some strategy in thinking about, okay, who are the best reviewers that I can send these copies out to?
2: And I wouldn't even. And I heard you say that you would that you would expect them to like it. And I don't know if that's necessarily what I would like. As the as the other point that I think you were trying to make is that does it fit? So. You would send me different kinds of games than you might send, like um, my buddy Andrew at the Family Gamers. He would have a bunch of family games, but a lot of my audience is into KDM, which is a very, very not family-friendly kind of game. <laughs> right. So it's important to look at uh, the media that you're sending your games to to see does it fit their catalog, just like you would look at as a pu- look at a publisher for. Keep in mind, this is small industry, so even between the publishers and the designers, everything is small, but the media companies are small too. So if you send me your game and say, hey, I'd love to do a spotlight of this game, and I don't feel like this game is going to fit, I'd be more than happy to give you a recommendation for one of my friends where I think that your game would better fit.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right, let's talk about rules explanations. You know, the last few years, especially with Rodney Smith and the rules girl, I mean, there's quite a few uh, YouTube channels that that focus solely on, you know, presenting games, just just how to play as far as the rules, the setup, and that kind of thing. Why is that valuable, especially in, you know, 2019?
2: Because rule books suck. (laughs) (laughs) I mean... That's the nicest way to put it. Look, anytime I want to pick up a new game, sometimes it's really hard to sit there and go through um, a rule book and to have a rules explanation video. Just there's so much context that um, is missed in print that can be expressed through video. And it's so easy to... it's. video is so accessible to me. I can pull out my phone, I can go to my laptop, um, I can go on my gaming consoles and search a uh, rules explanation video to figure out how I'm supposed to pick up this game that I've just bought and nobody showed me. It's almost mandatory at this point, I feel like.
0: Yeah, I'm right there with you. And especially because people learn in so many different ways. You know, I, I have dyslexia. And so reading a rule book is annoying to me, especially when there's the pressure of I'm at the table, there's three or four other people staring at me, waiting for me to kind of parse out this information about what we need to do next, what you know the setup is on. And so there's a little more pressure there. And then I'm trying to read fast which does not help at all with, with, you know, <laughs> with to read at all. <laughs> exactly. And so, yeah, if you can just pop up riding Smith and say, all right, we're going to do this, this, and he you know, it gives you three or four things to do. You hit pause, you put those things out on the board, you put the cards out, you know, shuffle them, whatever. And then you hit play again and you don't, you don't have to go back and find your place in the rule book again. You don't, what page, where was I? What? No, push, pay, uh, push play, push pause. It makes it so easy. And, and gosh, it's just a, a better way to do it, especially because these people are professionals. Like most people teaching games at their game night are not really professional rule book teachers. They're just gamers. Right. And but Rodney Smith and people similar to him, they've kind of become professionals at teaching games. And so it's kind of like outsourcing you know, your amateurness to someone who's a pro at doing it. And so I feel like there's a, a lot of value in it.
2: Absolutely. And how many times have you read a rule book where you're at page one and you already have a question, but it doesn't get answered until page six? (laughs) Right. So, you know, when Rodney sat there, he's gone through the entire rule book. He knows how to take that information and spit it back out in a way that can be, you know, understood. So
0: Yeah, definitely. All right. So let's kind of switch gears again. What are the different roles as far as game designer versus publisher and marketing? Now if you're kickstarting your own deal, you're self-publishing, you're the whole thing. You you you're everything. so You're wearing all the hats. But if I'm just a designer, you know, submitting games to publishers and then they're doing all the other, what is what are the kind of different roles that we should be playing, you know, designer versus publisher as far as marketing, videos, content, media, that kind of thing.
2: So I'm really happy you asked this question because I think it's something that doesn't get that may not be considered as much um From the designer perspective, when we do our videos or when we go to conventions, the people that we're talking to usually, usually sometimes 50-50 aren't the publishers. It's the game designers. So when you're making your game, um, it's also important to consider whether or not you're the kind of person that can go out and also pitch your game. Because you may have the publisher turn around and say, hey, you've got this interview to do at X o'clock. And you're going to be on with who, whatever people talking about your game for some period of time. And some people are really great at being on camera. Some people are really great on be, at being on podcasts. Some people, not so great at it. So it's definitely a discussion between the designer and the publisher if that's the kind of relationship that you have. But it's important to consider that you might be the person, just like an actor in a movie, going out and pitching your game. And you need to be um, engaging, entertaining, interesting, on top of being a really great game designer.
0: Yeah, that can be very difficult. I mean, a lot of people in any kind of creative venture aren't necessarily super outgoing, especially things that require a lot of isolation, You know, writing or game, game design. A lot of times you're doing that alone. Uh, and so, yeah, you, you might have to practice at this stuff. I think that's another thing to think about is what maybe get on YouTube and, and learn some different tips, you know, tricks of the trade, as far as being interviewed, as far as, you know, maybe not saying too much, but at the same time saying enough to kind of get the point across. I've, I've interviewed some people for this podcast and I'll ask them a question. They'll go, yes, <laughs> cool. All right, moving on. <laughs> Sorry, bro. Tell
2: right.
0: It, right, appreciate that. Uh now with podcast I can kind of cut those moments out and it's not a big deal. But if you're live, like you can't cut out the you know awkward thing that just uh just happened. And so it's something to just be aware of. And what can you do to grow, to get better? Uh being interviewed, being on camera, you know, doing written interviews, that's also something, you know, if, if you're not a great writer, you know. Maybe find somebody to kind of help you with the editing things for written interviews and things like that. But what can you do to grow as a whole, not just as a designer, but the whole, the total package? Because that's really what publishers want. They don't want just a good designer. They want somebody that they can put out in the media and say, hey, help me sell this game because I've got 47 other things to do right now. And so if you can go to this interview and I can go over here, we can, you know, yeah. we can divide and conquer. And so, yeah, what does it look like to, to get better at public speaking or being on panels or things like that, because that's going to get your name out there. It's going to get your games out there. It's going to make more publishers want to work with you because they know what you bring to the table more than just the design element. You bring all these other things. And so it's definitely something to be thinking about and trying to get better at.
2: And as like in any industry, when you start getting your name out there and some notoriety behind your name and people can put a face to your name because they've seen you out in media, your name now has a value when you're pitching whatever design that you have, um, you know, you can have a couple of successes, but when your name has uh household values, not really the right term to it, but some clout to it because people know you, I mean, that's something of value to a publisher.
0: Yeah. I mean, they get, you know, all the democratic nomination stuff going on with, with politics in the States right now. And so much of the early on anything is name recognition. Do people even know who you are? Have they ever, ever even heard of you? And that's going to determine a lot of things, especially early on. And so I think the same thing with creative ventures. You know, have people heard of you? Have they seen your face? Have they seen you on social media? Have you done design journals and things like that? Which is another thing media-wise we can talk about in a second. You know, just kind of yeah. putting your face and name out there to, to get more known, right? What's what's the, the number? It's like somebody has to hear about something like seven times before it kind of sticks. Yeah. And so you're just trying to show up in, in different places.
2: And again, we talked a little bit earlier about how... Um how busy this industry is. So to get your, yourself, you know, hit seven times, you're struggling along a lot of noise.
0: Yeah, for sure. All right, speaking of like design journals and things like that, you know, that's kind of early on in the design process, development process. And so when when should a person really be thinking about, you know, getting out into the media, that kind of thing, you know, as far as, I don't know about necessarily contacting, obviously contact reviewers and like that. That's after the game's already published and printed and all that. But like, just kind of give me some timelines as far as things to think about, as far as reaching out to people or putting things out there online.
2: Well, let's back that up a little because I don't know if reaching out to reviewers necessarily needs to be done after it's been pub. After you know it's published and the game is out. So okay. I, I think it depends on which venue you're you're taking. Mm. So if you have a Kickstarter and you're doing it yourself, your game could still be in prototype stage, and you kind of want to get the buzz out about it. So reaching out to reviewers as early as you can is a great way. Timelines shift all of the time like crazy. Months one way or months the other direction because of what have you. But I think building that relationship with reviewers and starting to talk about maybe getting your game and your buzz out there, um, once you've kind of settled on what you think something is mostly finalized... I think that's when you start reaching out and kind of talking. If you're going to be uh, pitching your game to a publisher, then usually it's the publisher's job to contact the media, and you would leave that up to them. And then just discuss with the publisher when you know you'll when they'll need you for things like interviews or media or marketing in that capacity. But if you're doing it yourself, it's important that you know it's important to talk about it. As far as design journals go. I think that's kind of, I, I, I consider those akin to like a blog. Some people want to do, some designers want to put out a design journal because it's cathartic to them to decompress and discuss about the things that they've done. And it's an excellent way for designers to connect with other designers to brainstorm ideas about the problems or the things that they've been running into. Yeah, so I, I hope that kind of answers a little bit about what you were asking.
0: Yeah, that was great. Okay, so one thing we've we've mentioned several times is how busy the industry is, how noisy it is out there. What are some things, like what's your advice on standing out? What are some ways that my game can kind of stand out in the media so people actually notice it and pay attention?
2: That's the million dollar question, isn't it? What is what is your value proposition for your game? What makes your game unique? What makes your game different? What makes your game special? It's important to put a megaphone to that. Here's why you're going to love my game because my game is super cool and interesting and different because of that. And then to be honest, it's getting on the media circuit. How many media outlets can you get that game out to within your budget? Um, Not all media outlets don't come, you know, not all media outlets are free. Media outlets do come. These people are working. Uh, It's a job. So people should be paid for doing work uh there are other ways to get your games out which may be free so if you're going to free reviewers oh this goes back to a little bit how early on you'll have a lot of free reviewers who are like send me your game and if i can get it on my docket i can get it out there you really just want to put a megaphone to your project essentially
0: yeah definitely now as far as like advertising facebook ads and that kind of thing do you have any advice on on those things have you have you had had any uh, experience with those
2: as far as Facebook ads are concerned, I say don't. Um, it's, I think this goes back to an industry that has become very sensitive about having projects sold to them.
0: Okay, so you're saying like don't even, like during a Kickstarter campaign or anything, don't even do like a sponsored Facebook ad or, or anything?
2: It depends. Like we just had Gen Con and you know that there's X amount of people in Indianapolis and Facebook is fantastic for being able to uh, geo-target an audience and narrow it down. But I don't know if Facebook ads are really the way to go. It, you're gonna get, you're trying to convey an entire game in such a small box. I really think that the best way to market to this industry is as close to or as organic as you can get. If you look at a lot of the media outlets, you're gonna find that these people have become members of the community. So it's, it's still an organic feel to it if that makes sense. It's not you don't see um you don't see your favorite media personalities kind of plastered like billboards with their sponsorships. You'll see your favorite media personalities talking about games that they do genuinely like, things that they really want their audience to like and enjoy. I think that your money is better served getting your game to the right media outlet than it is putting up an ad somewhere like Facebook.
0: Awesome. Well, Ann, this has been great. Do you have any kind of closing thoughts or anything you want to tell people, tell game designers that are thinking about media, especially, you know, people new to this whole thing, maybe haven't been designing games very long, like what, what are your kind of closing thoughts and advice for them as far as interacting, engaging with the media and doing it well?
2: Yeah, look, welcome to the friendliest industry that I've ever had the pleasure of being a part of. Um, If you are new to this industry, reach out. Let me back that up. Please do not reach out to media saying, hi, my name is so-and-so, here's my project, go and back it. That's very abrasive. The whole industry is very turned off by that. Say hello, say hi. My name is so and so. I'm a game designer. I'd like to, you know, get to talk to you. I what kinds of media do you do? I would take some time, watch some YouTube videos, watch some Twitch videos, listen to a couple of podcasts, read some blogs, figure out which media personalities are fitting the kinds of projects that you would like to create and say hello. I think a lot of people in this industry are very approachable. I think that we're all really trying to look out for one another and help one another. Um, I think that that's my closing thought: is is reach out, say hello, and and introduce yourself.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It, again, like you're saying earlier, it's all about relationships, building relationships, not just showing up the day your Kickstarter launches, you know, the day ga- the day your game launches and be like, hey, here's my game, please give me money. Like, no, that is not how <laughs> this works. And so, yeah, I, you know, thinking thinking the long game, you know, having the long game in mind, and whether it's online or through email or, or whatever, uh, in person at conventions. Just realize it's about shaking hands, getting to know people, building up kind of a reputation as a person, and then you can start telling people, hey, check out my game, especially if you've already given them feedback or helped other people, you know, kind of commented on their posts and said, hey, this is a really cool project. I love that you're doing this. I love what you're working on. And then down the road, people remember that, you know, that kind of reciprocal uh, approach to things. And so, yeah, I I agree. Well, Ann, it's been really good having you on the show. Really glad that uh, Mr. Peter C. Hayward uh, sent that email and said, hey, have Ann on the show, talk to her. Really uh, appreciate your time and and your insight on all these different things. And good luck over there on Twitch with Twist Gaming. Is there, like, you want to plug that? Like, Where can people find you?
2: Yeah, okay, so uh, we would love to have you guys just join us for one of our shows uh, at twitch.tv slash twistgaming, and you can find us on Facebook and Twitter, we're very active on both of those platforms at um if you search twist gaming you will find either of them uh you want to send us an email you know we were talking about reaching out and just saying hello info at twistgaming.tv goes to all three uh matt josh and i because we're a type personalities and we have to have control uh you know or you know shoot me a dm or a facebook message on one of the platforms we'd love to talk to you get to know you
0: very cool well good luck over there on twitch and good luck with everything else you got going on right now thanks
1: thanks for listening